Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. The brain is the most complex organ in the human body. As part of the nervous system, the brain coordinates all of the body's functions. In adult humans, the brain is a three-pound gelatinous mass of fat and protein. It's comprised of four main regions, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, the brainstem, and the diencephalon, and each one controls specific tasks. Altogether, the parts of the brainstem control vital bodily functions, such as cardiac activity, respiration, digestion, and sleep. The fourth region is located above the brainstem and makes up the core of the brain, the diencephalon. About the size of an apricot, the diencephalon is a grouping of several structures. The thalamus, which processes and transmits information from all senses except smell, and the hypothalamus and pituitary gland, which work together to produce and regulate neurochemicals. These structures help govern sensations, weight regulation, energy, and instinctual behaviors such as eating, drinking, and having sex. The brain's four main components, the diencephalon, brainstem, cerebellum, and cerebrum, work in sync to ensure bodily functions are fully operational. The brain has even evolved mechanisms to protect itself. One such mechanism is the blood-brain barrier, a semi-permeable cellular wall that only allows specific chemicals to enter from the body's bloodstream into the brain. Despite this protection, tumors and other complications can lead to life-threatening problems and diseases in the brain, such as dementia. Thankfully, scientists have found ways to improve brain health. Staying physically active and eating a balanced diet may preserve cognitive function and even reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's. So while the brain only makes up a small percentage of the body, it plays a crucial role in the body's functions and overall well-being. Hello everyone, that is only meaning one thing, that theme tune, and that is that we are here, we are live, and it is a Scream Brum show here on Brum Radio. It's 12 noon, it's Friday, some point in October, I don't know exactly when, but it is, and we are going to be doing the Scream Brum show. The Scream Brum show is a show here on Brum Radio where we talk about anything with a screen, whether it's a film, whether it's a TV program, whether it's a, a podcast or anything, and we will be discussing it. And you might have guessed the theme for today's show. The theme for today's show was evidenced by that clip at the beginning, which is from a National Geographic documentary, because we are using our grey matter today. Today is all about the brain. We're going to be talking about the way the brain is represented on film. We're going to be talking about the way in which the brain is shown. Is it sensible? Is it realistic? These are the questions that we're going to be asking. And we're doing so in the company of a bona fide brain... I was going to say brain surgeon, but I think that's that's, uh, that's, a spe- that's rather a specific subset, isn't it, Alex? It's a promotion. <laughs> that's right. We're doing so with Dr. Alex Connor. Hello, Dr. Alex. Hello, Blake. Can I call you Alex? <laughs> you can, That's yeah. a relief. That's a relief. Um, because you're not a, a quote-unquote proper doctor, no. are you? No. 
No, lost yes. from friends kind of doctor. Yes, right. And you are uh, an expert in the brain. Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, proteins that make the brain work, really. That's uh, exactly the thing is proper neurosurgeons and neuroscientists would say. Yeah, he's, so not, he's not a brain scientist. He knows nothing about the structure. Um, <laughs> and um, you're going to be talking us through lots of, of uh, the issues around the brain, how the brain is shown. And we're going to be doing that whilst we talk about the films. Our other contributor today is Mr. Tim Wilson. Hello, Tim. Hi. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Tim has arrived at the very last minute. We haven't had the chance to test his microphone, so quite yeah, pleased it's, to hear it's, it's working. It's supposed to look incredibly, sound incredibly seamless, right? Yeah. That's the whole idea. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm looking forward to learning a lot today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not the brains today. That's good. No, no. You, to be honest, you never are, Tim. Thank you. Um, and um, we're going to be looking at... Uh, Tim and I will be presenting our top five... Uh, films or TV programs or anything else with a screen that represents the brain and uh, Alex will be telling us how absolutely ridiculous each of those representations are I Certainly suspect what we have, anyway. <laughs> um, so um, Alex you work on brain protein what does that actually mean yeah that's a good question so I, I uh, I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Birmingham I'm a lecturer of this and that I teach the first few years of medicine really before you need the proper doctors to do the hard bits and in my research life we're a little team and we're interested in the proteins that help the brain run so your brain's a big like 1.3 kilogram lump a bit smaller in women but that's not related to intelligence or sperm whales would be doing sudoku (laughs) it's uh, sperm whales the biggest brains in the world they're massive yeah really big probably not the biggest but they are they're five times six times bigger than ours Uh, I mean, they're pretty bright. We don't know how bright they are. You can't do experiments on sperm whales. And and this is made up of about 100 billion neurons. Each one's a cell. That's as many stars as there are in our entire galaxy. That's probably a coincidence, (laughs) but I don't know. And each cell's pretty tiny. You could fit 100 of them across a millimetre of a ruler in a single file. Well, we study the proteins that make each one of those cells work, and these are... I mean, these are proper tiny. So if I made your brain as big as Birmingham City Centre, so every one of those 100 billion neurons was two, as big as this studio we're in, the proteins we work on would still be so small I could fit ten to 100,000 of them in single file across the palm of my hand. And we study the structure and function of one of those and how it helps the brain work. Fantastic. So um, I'm, I'm my brain is feeling slightly tickled already by this um so um p- let us know as the screen Brun show is very much your program as well we'd love to hear from you we alas do not have our regular producer in the studio this week but we are still going to be responding to your tweets so you can tweet us at screen Brum. you can also go to our facebook world presence thing and uh, leave a comment for us on there if you just search for screen Brum on facebook we also have a telephone, 01216 That's 01216 So needs its own jingle, doesn't it? I know, I know. I'm getting quite good at that, reading it oh, out. Now, I think. Uh, um, unfortunately, in the absence of a producer, we also don't have anyone to answer it. So if you do ring, it may take us a little bit more time than usual to get to People frantically running across yes. the room. Um, so um, having sounded as utterly professional as that, let's go into some music before we go back. Um, let us know your favourite brain films, films about the brain. We're going to be focusing on the organ itself, this 
what is it? What hundred billion neurons and this one point one kilogram? One point three. One point three. Yeah. Gosh, I've given away too much of my brain there. Um, of gelatinous fatty stuff. Um, there's probably a bit more to it than that. So um, we can't um, start with anything else other than this music, really. Sorry, but a very quick ending there because I forgot it's the live version of um, Brain Damage. Yeah, no, it's the live version. That's because it needs to be from a film and it's from the concert movie Pulse. That's Pink Floyd's Brain Damage. Now, um, we say the words brain damage very blithely, I suspect. And something that you're quite passionate that people understand is that brain damage is quite a... Well, it's A, it's very serious, but B, it's also not necessarily what we think it is, is it? Yeah, it's not necessarily helpful term sometimes there's some um there's some really good examples in popular culture of people who have for example cerebral palsy which has been labeled sometimes brain damage but actually another way of looking at it is is just brain difference because we're all different there is no normal and you've got to be very very careful with those words like using any words really mm. if you're going to label someone know why you're doing it really and that's what we, we talk about people who are sort of was it neuroatypical yeah, people, people that with ADA, ADD, for example, where we all have that, we all have elements of attention. Anyway, as I was saying, Tim, um, that, that, that was a joke. It was a, yeah, it was really... Sort of a joke. Yeah. And this is the thing, we all joke, we all say, oh, I'm very OCD because mm. we might not like how the clock's jaunty. That, that's not the same as OCD, that's liking patterns mm. and ADD as well. We all, we all have elements of this. It's when it becomes a problem to you and those around you, and you seek help, you might want that label, you, you might not. And do you think that then, because this is such a common, when we were doing the research for, for this, you know, you look at, if you just sort of Google brain, films about brains, you know, every one of them is, you know, pretty much a film called, you know, Death Kill, and it's got someone with, you know, screaming and they're sticking knives in. There's a lot of kind of depiction of the brain as being a terrible, terrifying thing, and any kind of atypical brain as as a terrifying thing. Do you think that the brain is misrepresented on film? Um, I think every horrendous action that's ever happened in the history of humanity was because of a human brain. So may- maybe not. All the, good, <laughs> all the good ones too. Yeah. But I suppose this idea that in any kind of brain damage or brain uh, atypicalness is negative. Yeah. I, I think in the 80s and before, yeah, and brain scientists as well, but I think it, it's become a bit more nuanced more recently probably. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think in the last 20 years, or the last 10 years, you've seen, uh, you've seen directors really are beginning to deal with aspects of the brain in a much more intelligent and, uh, shall we say, nuanced manner, mm. and complex manner as well. I take well. it you're not, um, you're not talking about um, the man with a screaming brain, with um, that man out of um, the Evil Dead, um, Bruce Campbell. Uh, no, that's just brilliant, though, in its own <laughs> way. The day. It has its own charm. Yeah, he has a, he's, he's, has um, a severe brain injury, and uh, half of his brain is replaced with someone else's, and they have conversations and stuff it, in his head. But it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that even before then, you know, the films are slightly silly or slightly bonkers or slightly horrific. I think it's a, a, a kind of an, it kind of reflects the times and reflects how people didn't perhaps know much about the brain as much as they know now. I don't know if that's true or not, that people were like being quite... There's a lot of fear about the brain and what, what it means and what it... Because it yeah. is an... It's an it's in there and it's yeah, in your head. You it? don't, you know, you don't know. This is piece of one point three kilograms of 
jelly or whatever you called it. Yeah. So uh, it's the it's uh, a lot of cholesterol. I'm told. <laughs> there's cholesterol in the outside of each cell. Yeah. So there's, the cells are surrounded by a membrane. The inside's quite watery. It's a gel of each cell, and then the outside's a, a, a fatty region with cholesterol in there. And what I think the thing that's most fascinating to me as a biologist is that we know the maps, we know the geography of the brain, we know what the bits are called. We kind of know how it works. The proteins that I look at are the same ones as in your foot or your kidney or your liver pretty much, and they do the same chunking machinery things. But the thing that the brain does is it remembers stuff and it has thoughts. And we don't know what that means at all. So we don't we don't know how the brain remembers things. We don't we we know some of how it remembers things, but we, we really only superficially. We we and we really don't know what a thought is. In fact, in biology, we call that the hard problem. The hard problem. So it's not a simple matter of switching a little electrical impulses on and off, and that's a thought. You it can't might, see them happening. It might be. We yeah, you can see them happening. Yeah, you can. Oh. But we don't know what's happening. At all. That is fascinating. That is fascinating. We'd love to hear from you. I've got some great music now. Listen to this. There you go. Theme tune to Pinky and the Brain, uh, just to get us a little bit jolly. Um, thanks for your tweets. We've got a first question coming in from Feathers and Wings. Hello, Feathers and Wings. The question is, Alex, um, what does your expert think about psychic things? Does he think that you can read people's minds? Is that? I mean, I, I, so we're talking telepathy, like well, brain waves I, coming to my. There brain. is all that, but then there's also, I suppose, that the kind of more, med, you know, where they put the, the those big, mich- you know, like on flatliners, where they put a great big thing yeah. on your head and they read electric currents. Is that? Is that? I mean, I'm, I'm presuming you don't believe in the telepathy side of it, or am I wrong? So to the telepathy side of things, there's absolutely zero evidence that has ever happened in any way. There's this whole thing, especially in cinema, isn't there? Like. Uh, like in Limitless, for example, that we use 10% of our brain, we use 10%, so let's tap into the other 90%. The, the, the obvious mistake that makes is we're not always using the same 10%. S- so we do use 100% of our brain, unfortunately. We're just not all the time. Mm. So me talking to you is different from me being at home, mm-hmm. having a sandwich. So probably not. Can we move things with a mind if we could create something to... to uh, sense those changes and then have an electrical connection to a to a hand for example definitely we're already doing that for mm. people with with uh, paralysis and so on so this notion that yuri gello can change the course of football matches is utter preposterousness in every single way so. <laughs> well maybe if he like streaked or something it's <laughs> <laughs> about the only way it couldn't yeah. be worse than yesterday what, ab- <laughs> what about this idea Oh, there we go. There's the, the building work going There's on in the brain background. brain surgery going on back this day. Yes. <laughs> Let's hope it's Tra- not. panning, that is. That's <laughs> right. If you hear that, you now know. You might hear some screams. Ah! <laughs> no, trepanning is something we'll definitely come on to. I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> uh, it's a different story. But this idea of, I mean, I'm thinking, um, we see this in, in films all the time, you know. They put these things on your head and they go, they can see which part of the brain's lighting up and they know what someone's thinking. Is that possible? You know, yeah, or they can, yeah, yeah. Yes, no. Mm. We can see some things because you can ask them. Actually, this is, there's a whole whole realm of science called neurocinematography where what they do is they put people in front of films that they know well and don't know and look at which bits of the brain light up and they can see it time and time again that it's the same parts 
That's interesting. So, um, which part of the brain is associated with um, Guy Ritchie films? No, um, there is no the really hind brain. Exactly, <laughs> yes, no, no part of the brain at all. Um, as usual with this, thank you very much, for, uh, Feathers and Wings, for your question. Uh, if you do have any more, do send them through. Uh, we're going to be talking through our top fives. Apologies, that noise you're hearing in the background is not coming from your brain; it is coming from some building work that's happening here. We have to perpetuate the, the myth, mate. Okay, that is that is me using the power of my mind. Brain surgery. That's right. There there are some very, very rough quite, brain surgery going on. Tools being yeah, um, and I mean, trepanning is obviously the early part. I mean, for those that you don't know, when we talk about trepanning, trepanning was uh, very a, a, a medical procedure that's been happening for centuries. You know, they find thousand-year-old skulls have been trepanned where they where they cut open people's heads to relieve you know evil spirits and so forth. But it's still used now as a way of relieving pressure, isn't it? So it's it, yes, in a way, it's not used for mental health issues. It, it would only be used for physical problems. So if you mm. have a bang on the head or a stroke, your head gets, your brain gets salty, and water comes flying into your brain from your own bloodstream, and it can cause that brain to swell up a little bit. And your your craniums are very hard, very fixed, bony volume, and a, a swelling brain isn't, so it causes damage. So yeah, if they absolutely have to, the last resort is a craniotomy. Will they remove? little bit of your brain some parts of it and to try and allow that pressure to subside it's really is the last resort um well let's hope it is not what is going on outside um so tim we're going to be talking about our top fives and, and through that we will be talking to uh, dr alex about a range of other things about the way that the brain is represented in film i'm really interested in this um but we're going to go through our top fives and i'm going to start first tim because I'm really, <laughs> I'm really keen to talk about, and it's it's actually what I'm talking about is is a bit of a fudge because it is a it is a, a book and a documentary that is my number one choice. Oh, sorry, my number five choice, and this is um, the work of a British neurosurgeon called um, I've forgotten his name immediately now. No, Harry um, Henry Marsh, um, and he. He, he was the subject of a film called um, The English Surgeon, where he went and did some brain surgery in um, some former Soviet republic, um, mainly Ukraine. But prior to that, he had been also in an amazing BBC documentary called Your Life in Their Hands. And Your Life in Their Hands, actually, is a BBC series that's been going on for, for a long time, where they specialise in specific surgeons and talking about their work. Um, Henry Marsh wrote a book um, which came out quite recently, and his and the second one that's come out Im, um, imminently, called uh, First Do No Harm, which is about his life as a neurosurgeon, and it's beautifully written. It's a fascinating book about the humanity of conducting this incredible work, uh, operating on people's brains. And the thing that really fascinated me, and I'd suggest if you can try and find this, it is available on YouTube. Is the documentary which was in two thousand and four contains an astonishing scene of him conducting an operation um, and what happens in this case is he's, he's removing a brain tumour from a patient um, he takes off pretty much the top of his the whole top of this guy's head and he's taking out all of this material but the patient is conscious mm. he's fully awake through it and the reason that they're doing that is because the tumour is close to the speech centre uh, of this guy's brain and the surgeon is removing this material he's not aware he can't tell which is the cancerous material and which is the real healthy brain tissue. So he's talking to the patient at the time. And as the patient's speech gets confused and deteriorated, 
uh, and he's unable to recognize certain things or words for certain things he knows he's actually getting into brain damage uh, well, sorry, um, traumatic brain injury, however you <laughs> want to call it. But um, it's an absolutely astonishing sequence because this this guy is fully awake, chatting. He can see inside his own brain on the screen as the as the surgeon is doing the operation and chatting about how odd that is. And it's just incredible to watch. And so my 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 film recommendation is that both. Uh, your life in their hands the 2004 documentary and the 2007 the english surgeon but also if you have the opportunity do look at his book first do no harm i think it came out about 2014 and his second memoir has come out more recently he's an nhs he was an nhs surgeon he's retired now um, and it's fascinating very human depiction of what it's like to actually get into someone's brain um, and in places it's quite alarming because he talks about you know the look component and how as, as you said there's a lot of parts in there they don't really know what they're doing but they do know they have to you know get this stuff out so there you go i don't know if either of you have heard of the of henry marsh i've heard of henry marsh i haven't seen any of your life yeah it's a it's a it's a it's an ongoing series i think it's been going on since the 60s um where they will and and they they're actually there in the um in the operating theater but this particular one is as i say it has this incredible dimension because you know the actual the they were saying how much more of the tumour they can remove with the patient pe- uh, present because he can actually tell them what's going on. What television that sounds like. Yeah. But yeah, being in, the, being in the heart of seeing. Yeah. That's not uncommon practice. Really? To have the patient awake during brain surgery for exactly that reason. So you don't tap something that means they start to have really horrendous responses. And it leads to the idea that everything you've ever touched in your whole life has been processed in the brain you don't feel in your fingers or your feet if you bang your hands together now you don't you're not feeling that in your hands you might think you are you're feeling it in your brain and yet your brain can't feel anything touching the brain it doesn't have its own pain receptor so you can put a scalpel through it and you you can't tell that there's the, there's um, another film which someone has commented on on Twitter around this, which is 1974's The Terminal Man. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, George Segal. It's based on a, a Michael Crichton book, so we have to have that in mind with our. Oops. Tim's um, so bored, he's uh, looking I know, on YouTube. I'm up the clips for your life now. Oh, uh, well, um, we've got enough Twitter, background I'm noise going on here. I'm on Twitter, GT. Um, sorry. Um, so, um, so, yes, and, and in that film, um, there's a man with brain um, issues. And they are st- the the scientists are stimulating certain parts with electrical impulses uh, in order to find out what each part does. And and one of the one of the the patients, you know, becomes addicted to the fact that he can just give himself sexual pleasure at the press of a button straight into the brain. Um, and uh, I remember the George Chagall, you know, the way they do that is they just press a button and he just has this incredibly dirty smile on his face it's quite good um but yeah it's not not a fantastic film but quite an interesting one um because it does seem to be very focused on the the structure of it and is this again alex is this idea that we can i, I was reading um only this week that they they think they've found some way of treating severe depression by stimulating certain parts of the brain with electrical impulses it's not it's not science fiction no it's really not i mean you, you it's trial and error though it's it, you don't know exactly what you're doing but you, it's doing it through geography rather than physiology in many ways you're trying to guess we did it there and that worked so let's do it there again um so uh, that is my number five anyone out there read the work of henry marsh or seen either of those films then let us know um, tim's going to be back with his number five in a moment but we are going to introduce another track first um and this one i'd like um you alex if you'd like to introduce this this is one of your favorites that you have suggested for us this is the johnny cash track hurt oh 
So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> Sorry, I've dropped you on there. That really has. It's well. This is taken from the film. Uh, those of you who know me, it's a Nine Inch Nails cover version uh, that Johnny Cash did. Fantastic video, by the way. If you ever want to see that, it's an amazing um, thing with him and his wife. Just the look of adoration on her face is, is a sight to behold. Um, it's from the film Inside I'm Dancing, which is a film about cerebral palsy. Uh, and again, is cerebral palsy a, a condition that that originates in the brain itself? Yeah, it manifests quite early. Uh in children in the brain and can be caused by different things it creates uh, physical and, uh, motor and sensory difficulties for people with it um, yeah so I chose songs I wanted to hear and then tried to google whether they were ever in films based on the brain that, so. that's what we do that's what we do but there is there is that component to it so Inside I'm Dancing with um, uh, James McAvoy um, from I, I think about the late 2000s and this is a fantastic track in any case it's Hurt by Johnny Cash enjoy I hurt my away there we go we're all absolutely loving Johnny Cash in here as is Feathers and Wings hello Feathers and Wings you've said it's the best version of it I uh, think we'll find no one in the studio disagrees with you on that thank you all for your tweets the film blog have suggested a film which um, was um, ooh, we're getting a bit of crackle here apologies everything is going wrong in the studio today um, a film uh, that they suggested is Inside Out which we're talking about fantastic Disney movie and we may well come back to that film blog <laughs> we may well do that so <coughs> um, with no more ado what is, what is your number five, Tim? Uh, my number five is Inception. Inception. Is that about a brain? Discuss. Is it about the brain? Maybe in a sense that uh, it's using a plot device, which is the idea of planting an idea in someone else's subconscious through a dream, and then you're setting up this whole dream within a dream escape. Um, it's also a hard film on the brain. Huh. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, oh, it is. It's, it's I think, uh, yeah, I... I uh, yeah. It's a, it's a really intriguing proposition. This idea of um, putting in, uh, setting up the idea of sleep dreams, putting in plot plot devices within the idea of sleep, the the idea of um, you know having levels of dreams, complications of that, having multiple people going into a dream. I mean, these always these are really powerful ideas on a movie level. All right, mm. and uh, whether or not they stack up on a scientific level, I'm very interested to know. Um, <laughs> Nolan's science has been called into question many times. Interstellar well, got really called into question because it, it called on a lot of uh, issues of memory and and planting and ideas and all of that. And but of course, I, Memento, which was which was Memento, his breakthrough, which is very much about a brain, which is totally. Which, yeah, I was going to come on to that. I, that's on my honourable mention because mm. I think yeah, I think Nolan definitely has a fascination with it and definitely has de- dealt with it in multiple f- films. Um, I think we, you have to separate those two films. Memento, I think Nolan's brother works in that area. Right. I think Memento is actually a really, really good representation of anterograde amnesia. Yes. So what is anterograde amnesia? Yeah, so where you can't lay down easily new memories. So you, your short-term memory is, is a little bit lacking, as opposed to retrograde where you've forgotten who you are, like in Jason Bourne or um, mm. Long Kiss Goodnight, <laughs> which is less... Less common. Less common. So, so the the antrogate is the more 
usual form. I think that's right. I think so. This isn't my field. I think that's more likely to happen after a traumatic injury or something. Yeah. But it's less dramatically interesting. So it seems to be yeah, very much more this kind of like people forgetting who they are well, and then self discovery doesn't really work if you the, have to do it every day. Does yeah. It? But it's the way that Nolan sets the plot device up for Memento. That's so intriguing. The yeah. Way, you know. And, <clears> there's yeah. a there's a very good um, book by um, I think he's a local writer actually S J Watson called Before I Go to Sleep, which is based on uh, a character who has a brain injury which require which means that her memories only ever last a day. And every time she goes to sleep and wakes up in the morning, she, they've been wiped clean and it's fresh every time. Um, and it's the premise for a, you know, a rather pot boily plot. Well, actually, there was a film of it with Nicole Kidman and um, Colin Firth, wasn't there? That's also the plot of Fifty First Dates, isn't it? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> it's Adam, Adam, exact it's Adam Sandler's. Yeah, is, is that Drew Barrymore as well? Yeah, it's irritating particularly. Oh, is it Uma Thurman? Yeah, it's, it's what we're going back to. We were talking about in the in, when we started the, this Hollywood's fascination with particular yeah. um, themes. But, but you were saying that, that uh, Adam Sandler, the Adam Sandler version is actually quite oh, an accurate yeah. representation. The most annoying thing about it is that you can't completely slate an Adam Sandler film, which is always pleasant. It's, <laughs> there were bits of it that are obviously stupid, but generally speaking, I mean, the, 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 the ease with which their family live with this disorder is, is, is flippant, because it's, it's not flippant, it's a brain trauma. The fact that you can't... There's a character in it, I, I think, I haven't seen the film for a long time, but there is a real human being who had an injury where I think his short term memory was 7 or 8 seconds there were characters who uh, she, she seems to remember him but not remember him at the end and, and are you allowed to do spoilers is that okay uh, it says okay when it comes to Adam Sandler films because yeah. you've already been spoiled by the fact that he's in it yeah. um, and, and there are people that, that uh, have short term memory loss and they write in a diary every day and they swear blind they don't but they know where the diary is mm. and it's not quite clear how, how that happens there is complex memory formation so, um, Inception, this yes. idea of being able to... Is, uh, I mean, brain, uh, dreams are, again, is something that, that people use a lot, this idea that that's kind of root into a different part of the brain. Is that... Yeah. Is that well, we don't really know what dreams are for. Some people think they're for laying down the memories of the day. Some people think they're for dealing with the emotions that we've had during the day and separating them. Other people think they're just random fluctuations of energy. But also, I also love about the idea of the dream within a dream is the idea of the, of the distortion of time. And the ability to mm, uh, yeah. ha- uh, stretch time and put yeah. it, there's there's a lot of ambition within that film. Mm. I mean, ultimately, yeah, I do feel that the film is an excuse, uses these things as an excuse for Nolan to to trip upon the things that he loves in cinema as well. Mm. Clearly, you know, he wants to get to the Honor Majesty's Secret Service Bond sequence at the end, right? So, do you know what I mean? It is a it is a it is a plot device, and that's usually what Hollywood films use this for. It's a way of driving an action, a thriller, or a heist in this case. You know, it's a way of driving the movie, uh, and that's fine. Am I the only one that doesn't like dreams in films and books? It's like when someone tells you about their dream. I don't care; it has no meaning to me. Quaid, and um, <laughs> look into your mind. Um, I. Yeah, I like Total Recall. Oh, so do I. Well, yeah. Total Recall, uh, that, is, that is possibly a, a, an honourable mention mm. for the brain on that, this idea. It's, it's a very loose Philip K. Dick referencing in the entire thing, isn't it? Very loose indeed. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but you know. Um, and we're talking, of course, about the original, the mm. Sharon Stone and Arnie version. We're not talking about the Colin Farrell version. That's important. Um, I've got something for you now, Tim. This is something that you recommended and I have fallen madly in love with. Let me know what you think. Deep in the heart of the West Country, at the turn of the century, lived Herbert Hill Brain, purveyor of quality meats. And when Herbert Hill said quality, he meant quality. 
That would have been fame enough for any man. But in 1925, Herbert Hillbrain surpassed himself, creating the tasty meat dish of pork, liver and onions, traditionally served with a rich West Country sauce, to which he gave his name, Brains Faggots. We think he'd have liked the changes we've made. Brains Faggots, so tasty, you'll wish you'd tried them years ago. Ah, oh, brilliant. Uh, that was from 1984. <laughs> Brains Faggots advert, uh, voiced by none other than... The legendary Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton giving it his absolute King Lear... Oh, it's just genius. ...over-the-top drama. Um, whilst I was finding that on YouTube, I also discovered that there was a kind of... Um, another ver- another um, celebrity faggot advert at the same time with uh, Rodney Buse. Um, and Rodney Buse, and similarly slightly apologetic about the product, says something like... Lots of children don't like spicy food, so we haven't put much spice in it or something like that. It's quite an odd thing. But yeah, brain faggots, if those of you um, that aren't around from the 80s, they were, they were a not pleasant-looking product that looked like a brain, didn't they? I think you can still get them, can't you? You possibly can. I'm possibly you doing can. them a disservice, I'm sure. I, I was th- we have to make a disclosure to our American audience about that as well, don't we? Yes. That it is actually a meatball. It um, is a, a meatball, yes. Oh, yeah. That is... Uh, um, yes, yeah, so that I imagine <laughs> that there was lots of, sort of raised eyebrows when... What's uh, going on? Yes, yeah, <laughs> doing a faggot advert. But there we are. So there you go. There was a little bit of fun. Um, let's have um, some more music uh, whilst we wait for the... Um, drilling to perhaps subside slightly and I'm going to play a track now um, by my favourite soundtrack composer of the moment Johan Johansson um, who was originally going to score uh, the the Blade Runner the new Blade Runner film, he actually passed over for um, Hans Zimmer um, but um, he did score um, the Arrival, the new film Arrival and also this one which is The Theory of Everything which is a film about Stephen Hawking where we have a sort of double brain components in there of course we have the fact that he had a genius brain which is something we'll talk about a little bit and also the fact that uh, he had obviously this um, brain condition that led for him well as everyone knows he has um, been um, incapacitated by for many years um, this track is called the whirling ways of stars that pass Oops, sorry everyone, I'm, I'm absolutely having a nightmare today. I do apologise for that little um, sneak preview of our next track there. Um, we are been chatting away in the studio and I'm going to give you straight away my number four brain movie. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to guess what it is. Um, it's not a classic film, it's not you know a great film possibly, but... Um, I find that specifically around the concept of the brain, uh, this scene in particular is something which I absolutely found brilliant and thoroughly convincing. So let's have a listen and see if you agree with me. You don't like me and I don't blame you. You see a self-defeating, energy-sucking piece of shit sponging off your husband. You're wishing I'd blow my brains out, but my existence shouldn't make you this upset. What is it? That's none of your business. Something wrong in law school? How do you know I'm in law school? People who aren't usually don't carry around dry, academically constipated books about a dead Supreme Court justice. You're a creep, aren't you? You've been, you've been following me. No, I just noticed the book. You just saw the corner of it. How did you know that? I'd seen it before, 12 years ago in college. Sitting on the couch of a TA I was trying to make, waiting for her to come back out of the bathroom, hoping she'd have a condom. Somehow my unconscious had served that up. A memory I'd never even recorded. Or was it there the whole time? All I needed was the access. If you're writing a paper, that's not the book I'd use. Well, who asked you? 
Hastings has his oral history, I'd start there. Interesting point, grammatically, this guy was an idiot, which sort of gives credence to the theory that one of the clerks he had fired actually wrote most of this guy's major opinions. You Google the clerk's sons, they'd love to talk to you, exonerate their dad. That'd give you something that no one else has. Information from the Odd Museum show, a half-read article, some PBS documentary, was all bubbling up in my frontal lobes, mixing itself together into a sparkling cocktail of useful information. <laughs> She okay, didn't have so a chance. What, what, what are your suggestions? So, the, anyone guess what that was? Alex, do you recognise that? Limitless? It is. It's from no. Limitless, which, again, is, as I say, not a classic film. But the way I like that film, so th- the <coughs> those of you that aren't aware of it, it has uh, Robert De Niro and Bradley Cooper and Anna Friel from Brookside as well um, in it. And the, the premise is that uh, the, the, our character, our hero, um, is uh, you know, a bum and a loser, and he takes this magic pill that for no logical reason he's given by Robert De Niro, um, and it makes him into a genius. But what I like about it is this, this idea that we all, I don't know, I, I sort of have this fantasy that everything I've ever seen and heard and is all there somehow in my brain, and I just have to connect it up. And if there was some way that everything just seamlessly connected, in the way that, of course, when we learn something and we become good at something, that's how it does. You know, we know we, our experiences allow us to connect things very, very fast, and we get good at doing things. Th- this idea that everything could like that suddenly is, is, is an incredibly intoxicating fantasy. Is it a fantasy, or is it realistic? So, at, at risk of my own show entitled Captain Buzzkill Ruins Fun Things. <laughs> no, not only do we not remember everything, we barely remember anything we're looking at right now. We, um, we don't have this big catalogue of memories that we had. We, what we're actually doing almost all the time is presuming we know what we're seeing. We don't even really see what we think we're seeing. We're seeing a very tiny subsection of our of visual arena and remembering a small amount of it. If I ask you to remember a room from, from your house growing up, for example, most likely you're actually just remembering the concept of a room as a template and putting some things in like a vase you remember, sadly. The actual dimensions it would be very, very unlikely for you to, to even rem- remember those, which is depressing. So this idea then that our memories are sort of... Um a hard drive or, or kind of a series of images that are stored is it is that incorrect it's a really it's a difficult question to it's a, it's a yes and no again which everybody likes about scientists <laughs> um we, we sort of do have that photograph base a visual based memory but we also have a context based memory and very much a smell based memory and, and and emotional memory and that all has to come together to give us a feeling of what we remember. You, a really great example of this is if you're ever having an argument with your significant other Never. and they say, well, you say I did that, give me an example. And you can't remember an example. Don't worry, that's not you. That's because nobody can. What you do is you remember the emotional gist of the conversation. You can't remember the details. Nobody can. What's well, a m- m- quote from Maya Angelou who says, you, you'll never, pe- you, people won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Exactly. And that's absolutely true. Oh, there we go. Uh, um, thank you for your tweets. We have another one in uh, from Catherine. Hello, Catherine, um, who has um, commented on something, uh, uh, suggested eternal sunsh- sunshine of the spotless mind, yeah. which I thought I'd mention now because it does relate very much to this limitless idea of the memory being a kind of 
database because in in that film Michelle Gondry's film I think it's 2004 with um oh, what's his name rubber comedy man Jim Carrey um, yeah it's it's one of his great performances one of his and the most together Gondry film as well uh, yes yeah um, it's Gondry's best film and uh, in the film there <coughs> they play a couple whose relationship has gone sour and so they they're having some sort of surgical electrical procedure to uh, eliminate the memories of each other from their brains um and uh, again is that you know is, is that plausible or, i mean yeah, yeah not now but if you, we can figure out where they are and what they are i don't see why not yeah that's a, a reasonable thing we can't definitely can't do that now it happens in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, isn't it? Where he, he blocks out part of his brain and then he can see into his head and uh, on some X-ray and he's, he's written his initials on it. He knows that he's done it himself. I mean, at the heart, at the heart of the film, it's a romance story, isn't mm. it? And it's using, it's, again, it's the, the glory of the, the idea that technology can erase memories mm. and draw, take people away from each other. It's, uh, you're rooting for those characters by the end. It's, uh, it, it I mean, becomes so much, tension-filled. I mean, so much of this, we're, we're talking about brain, we keep coming back to this idea of memory and being that we are, you know, we are obviously, the, you know, the, the, the feeling is that we are the sum total of our memories. Yeah. And the idea of the brain, therefore, being in some way damaged and having those taken away is incredibly primal fear for us because it's taking away... Yeah. You know ourselves. Absolutely. There's a there's a there's a compliment film to uh, to Eternal Sunshine, which is uh, Gondry's follow-up, which is The Science of Sleep. Mm. Um, sounds far better in French. Um, uh, with Guy Guy Garcia Bernal, who um, with massive hands, massive hands, uh, full of. It's a very indulgent film in many regards, and but it's actually just about at the right level, I think. Mm. Um, and it's all about. Um, <laughs> The whole idea of sleep and dreams, um, what's real, what's not, and you know, you're getting trapped within the dream, and it's all ultimately a love story of Bernal chasing Charlotte Gainsbourg, basically falling in love, and vice versa. And it's all full stories of, are love stories. All stories are love stories, right? Um, and it's a be- I, 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 if you like a more playful film than Eternal Sunshine, this is a, it's not a better film, but it's definitely more playful. It's filled with Gondryisms. Um, um, we've, got a, good. we've got a lot to get through. We're, we're still only uh, partway through our top fives. We also have a quiz coming up, a brain quiz, a brain teaser, if you will, which I'm going to try on uh, Tim because I'm not going to risk asking Dr. Alex any questions oh, about this. It could humiliate me. That's well, always amusing. The chances are well, you'll be saying, actually, that's, that's incorrect. <laughs> actually. It's a bit more complicated <laughs> than that. That's usually the answer we get from scientists. Um, so, Tim, number four film from you, please. Difficult. Um, I'm still sort of debating whether to do this one I, I have I have to put an Aronofsky film in there because um, pretty much everything about Aronofsky is about psychology and brain and, and memory and power and there's the, the brilliant fil- the brilliant scene in his first film Pi remember when he's on the subway station and he sees the brain and he he taps it with a pen mm. and it makes that noise bang yeah that sound effect and it's like that is Darren Aronofsky's career I thought it was like a metaphor for his career. So I'm going to pick Requiem for a Dream. Not the happiest film in the world. Um, uh, do you know what? Pi was going to be on my list, actually. I was, I was debating maybe. whether to put Pi. I was, deba- I was also you know, debating you know, Black Swan. I really love Black Swan, I think. I, um, no, yeah. It's a film about psycho- psychological, just losing it, going downhill. The, the, pa- the way he sets the parallels up between um, Ellen Burke Ellen Barton's character and Joe Leto. The way he does that and show and and you know the way he brings that decline over a period of time, 
it's um and the, the sort of the psychological loss depression mm. falling into a falling into um you know a never ending cycle i mean there's and a lot the way he piles it all on and i love all the the stop the sort of the stop editing and the the drug taking and the the pills the the way he just p- does that editing no one's done it as good as he has you know, there's been lots of people who've imitated that style. Uh, mm. I think Aronofsky really, really kills it in that film. You know, brings it home. And th- the other thing we should and it's say- a depressing film. Oh yeah, of course it is. Brilliant, and, but and depressing. It has. It's the. Um, I mean, the, uh, Clint Mansell, who is uh, our favourite local film composer, um, started off on Pi, um, did the soundtrack for that, but he really came to his own on Requiem for a Dream, uh, where that th- music, any pretty much any trailer for any kind of dramatic film you'll see has got the same, or certainly the early cuts of the trailers always got the same soundtrack, and it's always from Requiem for a Dream. So there we go. That's an excellent. It's about choice. the power of it just. It's the power of. Mi- it's a very minimalist thing, actually. The film. It, it just. It does focus on specific repetitions. You know, it focuses on eyes. It focuses on needles and, and pills, and it's just speeding it up. And the sound editing and the music make it. It's brilliant. It's very good, very powerful. A real sense of being in someone's brain uh, in that film. Um, Okay, I'm going to play some music now to cheer us up. This one's from... (laughs) uh, This one is from... the um, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. uh, And you'll know it, especially if you're a fan of Birmingham City Football Club. Mr. Blue Sky by ELO, Birmingham's finest. Um, and um, we are here on Brum Radio Scream Brum Show talking all about the brain. I can't say that, I can't say it without That's really good, content. I like that. The brain. Um, there is there's a number of films called The Brain, uh, oh. usually about a ridiculously uh, terrifying alien brains. The one there is a nineteen eighty nine film called The Brain, which again you can find clips of on YouTube where the heroes are pursued by this brain with teeth and eyes and it is the least frightening thing I think I've ever seen um, and posters uh, great though is that right yeah well posters as they we usually are as we found out with our show and again all our old shows are available on podcast or Mixcloud. and as we found out with um, our, our interview with Graham Humphreys uh, a lot of the paintings that are used for these film posters are specifically designed because they are visually better and far better than the film (laughs) Um, now our quiz our quiz is going on I'm going to put some music in the background for this okay this is how we're going to get very exciting for this quiz right this music here I'm playing you'll probably know it's uh, John Barry's Alone Blues from the soundtrack to the Ipcrest file the Ipcrest file is about brainwashing, the ability to you know, rewire someone's brain. Alex, you're going to tell us that's all ridiculous, or...? Um, I, you can change people's brains, not usually in a targeted way easily. You can't predict what you're going, how you're going. It's true of, of relationships. You can change someone, but you can't change them how you want them to change. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that sounded slightly, slightly bitter there, Alex. Um, <laughs> let's, let's Don't like on. washing up. <laughs> I was reading about how... Um, you know the, the GPS. The, they say that there's a certain part of our brain that has been evolved over millennia to to have good sense of direction, mm. and that use of GPS 
is changing our brains to, to sort of immediately, you know, in a very short time, atrophy that part of the brain. Yeah, no, it isn't. It definitely, definitely isn't. Okay. Um, my, a friend of mine works on exactly... Well, I, you know, I read this. Much. I read this in probably the Daily Mail or something, so... Yeah, it should be true. No, in fact, GPS stops us learning directions. That's true. But it doesn't atrophy anything. All you need to do, because they've got rat car to test this, all you need to do is when you're using your GPS... Rat car? Yeah, they put rats in cars and see how they remember directions. And they, all you need to do when you're using your GPS, look for large landmarks and combine your GPS use with large landmarks and you'll remember the directions when you next haven't got the GPS. If you don't do that, you won't. That is interesting. Okay. Now, Tim, there's some more facts. I'm going to ask you some questions now. I'm not going to ask Dr. Alex because he will know them. But I'd like to know whether these are true or false. Okay. Is not, it true? Not Barber or Carver. Not Barber or Carver. That was our quiz last week. This time <laughs> I couldn't think of a brain or mm, pain. Brain or pain. Brain or pain. Um, is this true? In general, men's brains are 10% bigger than women's, even after taking into account larger body size. True or false? True. Correct. Although the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain which um, most strongly links with memory, is typically larger in women. There we go. Fact number one. Um, second one. Every unit of alcohol you drink destroys between 10,000 and 20,000 brain cells. True or false? Well, now it's a question of how many brain cells you think there are. Um, I can believe it destroys brain cells. Um, false. It is false, but only because it doesn't resolve, devolve, uh, destroy brain cells at all. Oh, I got that bit wrong then. Yeah, alcohol does not kill brain cells. Uh, excessive alcohol consumption... It makes them drunk. <laughs> it, it damages the connective tissue at the end of neurons. Ah, oh, there you go. Do you know uh, how uh, alcohol works? Um, very well, thank you. <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, no one really knows. Really? There's loads of hypotheses, glutamate, excitation and things, but the actual exact how it gets us drunk, because it can move swiftly across our brain cells, because it's fatty philic, it's lipophilic, it likes fat, it can just wander straight across. We don't entirely know. That's brilliant. That is interesting. It's interesting. Basically you're telling us you know very little. Oh, absolutely nothing. Um, By the way, what you're hearing in the background is no longer Alone Blues by John Barry. This is... All Love Can Be, um, which is James Horner's soundtrack. It's actually Charlotte Church singing it um, from the A Beautiful Mind soundtrack, which is about a a genius troubled... Oh, we're on to the other Hollywood traits, tortured geniuses. We are, but we're we're still finishing off the quiz. We're still finishing off the quiz. So, (laughs) is this true or false? Albert Einstein's brain weighed 2.71 pounds, which is 10% smaller than the average of 3 pounds. True. Correct, Because it's so specific, it had to be true. Yeah, I couldn't make that up. I made the alcohol one up. Um, the neuron density of his brain was greater than average. But that, Alex, is a question I'm, I'm more interested by, is do geniuses have different brains? Is there a type of brain, you know, I'm not talking about Ollie Murs level genius, I'm talking about, you know, yeah. the Einsteins, the... Terence Trent Darby. The, the, yeah. yeah. He's changed his name instantly. He's no longer called that. <laughs> he called himself a genius. Yeah. It's adorable. Um, but are, are genius brains different? Uh, all brains are different, so yes. Um, the, it depends how you're measuring intelligence. Are academically intelligent people emotionally intelligent? Does that matter? So they're all different. Their preferences are different. 
So, yeah. I think the question you're kind of asking is, do they sort of have more electrical impulses running yeah, faster, more like smoothly? or larger parts? Um, a little bit, but you can also do that yourself through use. Use it or lose it with the brain. And these people are in an environment, a cultural environment, where they've been encouraged to use it. They've had good, good plasticine to start with, but they've also been encouraged to use it in the right way so it's very very hard to measure what you can't do what we'd love to do is take two identical twins and separate them at birth and see one brought up in an academic environment and one not if if they'd have the same brains then mm. that's the only way you can actually answer that question but probably a little bit yeah but again as you say that usage thing a uh, uh, very famously um, london taxi drivers who've done the the knowledge you know they've, they've learned so much that there's certain parts of their brain that change shape yeah absolutely you keep do, do, you do sudoku to think thinking's hard P- people think scientists are thinking all day we, we're really not I'm, I'm mainly thinking about food <laughs> it, thinking is hard because it's sort of exercise in a way isn't it so yeah use it eat well sleep well keep thinking and be hydrated that's another thing. The brain is um, the brain can be um, impaired by not having much water. I'm saying this incredibly, yeah. uh, sound very, very sort of authoritatively. Awkward. And I'm, I'm having a look. No, not true. No. So all this got to drink one and a half liters a day of water. It's it's not true. You, you've got to drink 400 milliliters of water a day. Um, that's your urine that's should be clear. That's not true. Your urine should is yellow. That's because because that's what the pigment is in it. Um, Unless you have. Um, you know, effervescent vitamin tablets like me, then it goes green, but that's a different story. Yeah, that's, I think we should talk about that. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> carry on. So, you, you, of course, we are a water-based organism. We're nearly 70% water in our entirety. We're soup with angst, pretty much. So, yeah, y- you need water, but we have constant water everywhere. Drink 400 mils, and you'll be thirsty, but you're not going to damage yourself. Yeah. Well, not your brain, anyway. There are other parts. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of other parts, here's one, Tim. Uh, the brain in your head is not actually the only brain that you have in your body. There's a second brain in your intestines, which contains neurons. True or false? False. That's actually true. No way. There are gut bacteria responsible for making over 30 neurotransmitters, including serotonin, which is the happy okay. molecule. So you do have a stomach brain or an intestinal brain. Is that, is yeah, that true? Yeah, it's called the enteric nervous system. And it's, uh, some people think it's where we get the term gut feeling. It is actually also linked to the brain and spinal cord because it's not entirely independent. But, yeah, we have, we have neurons there. Well, that point about the, the spinal cord was actually another question I wanted to ask, which is the brain, I always think of it as in the head, you know, the, 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 mm. bit. the brain stem, you know, the whole... Um, the spinal stuff is that actually part of the brain itself as well it's part of the central nervous mm. system so y- you you couldn't think without it you couldn't d- have motor functions without it it's the way it's described in when you see it in in films where where it's hanging down that that is how it probably sh- should be portrayed there's a there's a great um sort of pulpy 1950s horror film called I don't know if you've seen this Tim Fiend Without a Face no. there's some monster <laughs> you know some you know inevitably a nuclear um, incident leads to these these monsters and then in the end we see them that they're actually brains and they attack them um, and there's this incredible stop motion sequence when they are attacking 
Um, again, you can look this up on YouTube. It looks good. And you watch that and you think, and, and they're very much this brain with this brain stem and they've got little antenna. I love that they have antenna. Yeah. But it's very, if you look at that and you think that's where, that's where Ridley Scott got the idea for the facehugger alien in, in, in the alien. If you look at it, very much that same thing of that kind of lump with this horrible kind of um, tail that's, that's uh, prehensile and moving around. Very much the same thing. So have a look at that. It's a bit grim, but quite an impressive use of stop motion technology for the time. These brains flying through a window. And that <laughs> the, that's the clip you show me, isn't it? Yeah, and it sort of yeah, wraps, yeah. one of them sort of wraps around someone's. It's really grim. I, was, I, was, I thought that's just so innovative, actually. I mm. thought that seems ahead of its time. That is from A Fiend Without a Face. Brilliant um, name. So um, the, the final one. Now, this one is going to be another one where I get a shaking head at me. <laughs> True or false, you have more brain cells than there are stars in the Milky Way. Um, for goodness sake, how many stars are there in the Milky Way? About 100 billion. There's between 200 and 400 billion, according to the website I got this from. More brain cells than that. Uh, false. Uh, correct. According to this, now, uh, now that I'm getting a look here, because I'm told, uh, from the website I got it from, which was some, <laughs> something, it said that we basically don't know how many neurons. Is that true? Yeah, it's true, yeah. Um, because how would you tell that? How do you measure a hundred billion tiny things? It's it's a guess. Yeah. It really is. We don't we don't know how many cells in the human body. A lot more than that. Up to thirty trillion, perhaps even more. In each body. In your body. That of the human ones. There's about. I'm looking at a hundred different species right here. One of them's human. There's bacteria, <laughs> insects, little creatures, fungus, all all sorts of things. Right oh, there. that's a lovely thought, isn't, isn't it? it um, now we have got uh, 50 minutes of the show left, and we still have quite a lot of things to get through. So, thank you, Tim, for taking part in our quiz. Brain or pain? Well, one of them, right? Um, but them with the wrong subtext. Though. Yeah, but you know, I, I, it looks like the, the website yeah. I stole them from has got half of them wrong as well. And that is why we have an expert in. I'm going to have some more music, and then we're going to get back with our number threes. Don't you know I'm local? That's one for anyone who was uh, an indie kid in the 90s, insane in the brain by Cypress Hill. You should have seen Blake bobbing there. It was, it was a sight to behold. I said that I should have taken a little Instagram and made an animated GIF. The middle-aged hip-hop. Yeah, go oh. viral. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure it wouldn't. Um, in, insane in the membrane. Membranes? Is that, what, in the membrane. What, is that a good way to describe the brain? <coughs> why, the, do, why do they say membrane? A, a membrane is, is nothing to do with the word brain. It's not even spelt the same. It's mm. mem, B-R-A-N-E. Good rhyme, though. Uh, it's very good. And it, uh, the brain has a membrane that surrounds it. It's non-cellular body material that's often protective or structural in some way. And, you know, I said the brain doesn't feel anything. Well, the membranes do, so you have to anaesthetise those before you start stabbing around. The, 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 there's a very famous scene in um, Hannibal, which is uh, the uh, Silence of the Lambs sequel, where Ray Liotta's brain is opened up uh, by Hannibal Lecter and um, fed to him. It's really, really grim. But they do, they, they sort of peel off this Connective tissue, membrane yeah. like it's a kind of little plastic cap. It's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> but um, a. Um, and, uh, you know, this idea that you know you can actually survive with bits of your brain removed is not is not ridiculous, is it? I mean, people have survived with quite big chunks taken out, lots and 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 sticks gone straight through their brains, and and with very little changes in some cases, major changes. Um, they're often these people are often requested to be used for research because they can tell us so many things about if you're missing that piece and you 
we look at what tasks you can do, what you can't, what you can can't remember, how you can, how you feel compared to before. It gives us loads of information that you wouldn't do, obviously, in a lab. And doesn't that suggest that there's a whole chunks of it that don't do much? If you can have a stick through your brain and not much change, um, yeah, or that there's degeneracy in the system because it's so important that mm. you don't just have one car for the whole town. So it's like the internet. It's the World Wide Web. We've got range of services. It's not centralised. Bit of both, maybe. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we are. Um, we've got forty-five minutes of the show left, and we've still got to do some more of our favourite brain films. I'm actually going to do my next, and this is actually a massive cheat in the sense of it's a screen because it's something you can see on your phone. It's not a film. It's not a TV series. It's not a computer game. It's uh, not a book, but it is a podcast, <laughs> um, and it's well, it's a it's a radio drama called Tracks that came out. It was a BBC produ- production with Roma Lagari in it, and it came out uh, about this time last year. Um, I've tried to find it. It's undownloadable. There's no clips. There's nothing that I can find. So I couldn't play anything. It had amazing music in it, but it was um, essentially a story about. A doctor trying to track down her neuroscientist father, uh, a strange father, and um, lots of mysterious goings on. Um, but it, it very much dealt with the structure of the brain. Each episode was named after a different part of the brain, such as Wernick's area, which I believe is associated with language acquisition, um, Broca's area, and Vagus, and all these. Uh, and the episode focused on that. Uh, and we had the uh, uh, the mystery unfolding sort of with this this brain as the kind of um, backdrop to it so i'm saying this to you in case anyone out there actually heard this um, it was it was really good as i say Ramalagari, it was it was about nine episodes nine half hour episodes long and possibly didn't need to be quite that long but it was um, very compelling and had an absolutely brilliant soundtrack i've been desperately trying to reach the composer I know who they are but uh, no one they're not responding to me to see if I can get hold of the music that was used in it so I can't play too much on it but I'm guessing from the looks on faces no one here has heard of that no Alex Tim have you are you a, a big uh, consumer of radio drama um, I haven't heard of tracks no it's it's I think it's one of the things 4. yeah it was a radio 4 but as I say they released it as a podcast so you could download everything um, and um, brilliant uh, great performances great audio uh, and great sense of the brain the brain played a very large part in it and I can't fortunately I can't give you any more without giving too much away which is possibly irrelevant if you can't get hold of it but you never know you might be able to download it from Audible or something as well so Blake's number three BBC drama with Romalagari called Tracks. Tim, have you got a number three? Yes, my number three is uh, the 2007 film The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Oh, this is about uh, locked-in syndrome. Locked-in syndrome, yeah. So um, it stars Mathieu Almaric um, as Jean-Dominique Bobby, who was a uh, editor of Elle magazine. Uh, he was he had a tragic stroke. And the film follows his ability to communicate uh, through the power of blinking mm-hmm. and eyes and the ability for him to uh, get him, get across through, the, through a form of communication. Uh, it's a very, very beautiful film. It's a very powerful film. Um, it's direct, it has Yanis uh, Kaminsky, Steven Spielberg's, regular cinematogra- cinematographer doing the uh, 
DOP work, and it's a fantastic piece of work. Matty Almerick is an uh, amazing actor. Mm. Uh, he 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 gets across so much from the from his performance, and um, I th- it, it feels very real. It feels very um, it, it, it educates you in what locked in syndrome is about. It's a it's just frightening, but actually incredibly heartwarming and uplifting, mm. and uh, it's a riveting and beautiful film. Fantastic. We've actually had um, someone else recommend that on Twitter. Natasha, on sorry, on Facebook, um, suggested The Diving Bell and The Butterfly. So you're not yeah. alone. And of course, there was the book, um, which was uh, of it's you know it's an adaptation. Mm. So uh, it's yeah. a true story, is it? It's a true yeah. story. Yeah, because yeah. he, he actually wrote the book using. Just blinking. Using the blinking. Mm. And he doesn't. And there are sequences in the book where it, there's sort of flashbacks and, and yes, fantasy are. sequences of him. It's not. He's not entirely um, locked in for the whole film, performance-wise, anyway. Yeah, and I should. Uh, I should also point out, you know, the the, the support performances as well. Um, uh, Marie Jose Crozet plays the plays the nurse character for whom he forms the bond, and of course you've got um, Emmanuel Senier playing his former love wife, um, Celine. Um, so it's a really it's a really those they shouldn't be pointed out. It's not just Matty Almerich's film. You know, it's a, the support characters make it as well. So, so you're you're getting the brain component there because it's about locked in syndrome the, and the damage is locked in syndrome again. Is that a brain thing, Alex? Is that is that where it comes yeah, from? Yeah, it's a response to a, uh, a stroke, really, generally, and it's a lack of which is a lack of oxygen to a part of the brain that renders you unable to have motor functions, movement. It's uh, horrendous, devastating illness often you're paralysed with only for example blinking or sniffing as your means of communication this is depressing but very very rare to to gain any motor function, there have been full recoveries, one or two but in general that's not what happens but it's this notion isn't it that your cognitive abilities are fully intact right Right, Yeah, yeah. so even though you've been rendered um, you can't move Mm. and you you know he only has function of his left eye and they're working, fully on com- aware. they're working on computer interfaces now for direct patient interface with locked-in syndrome to get them to be able to communicate much more quickly than through blinking and writing a book. So that's, that's quite exciting for the brain as well. Um, okay, excellent choice there. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Um, thank you again for all your contributions. Um, someone else has listened to. Barbara has listened to uh, tracks, so uh, it wasn't just me. Um, so uh, thank you for your message. Uh, I'm going to play you something now, and I want to know. Okay, I'm going to leave the microphones on and tell me when you know what film this is from. Now, that brain that you gave me, was it... Hans Delbrooks? No. Ah. Good. Uh, would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. Abby Normal. I'm almost sure that was the name. (laughs) Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long, 54 inch wide gorilla? Is that what you're telling me? Quick, quick, get him up! What? 
Oh, I cannot tell you how much that makes me smile. It's from... Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein and the absolute peerless, of course, um, Gene Wilder and Marty Feldman there for um, that brilliant Abbey Normal sequence. So funny. Um, possibly not, you know, medically accurate. Brains being transplanted, or is that something that we can expect? There was someone who claimed they were going to do one, wasn't yeah, there, yeah, last year? Yeah, it's, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's 100 years away, for sure. I think it's much, much closer than that. It's uh, not a brain transplant, it's a body transplant, re- realistically, because it's, it's the brain that is you. Mm. So yeah, when that happens, we're all, we're all interested. Um, oh, here's an example of it happening on film. Her brain kept alive by experimental science by a man whose abnormal passions inspired him to try the impossible. I brought her back. She'll live and I'll get her another body. Yes, and what of her soul? How can you make of her an experiment of horror? His mad ambitions and desires threaten every woman possessing an attractive body. Girls whose measurements make them beauty contest participants. Professional figure models such as this. All are prey to his distorted desires. What's locked behind that door? Horror. No normal mind can imagine. Something even more terrible than you. Horror has its ultimate. And I'm that. Behind that door is the sum total of Dr. Cordner's mistakes. He intends to kill somebody. To rob them of their body. We've got to stop him. That rather dramatic thing was the bra- the trailer for the brain that wouldn't die, um, and that is a, uh, about a head transplant, or rather a body transplant, as you say. Um, and that's a, again, it's a classic sort of sci-fi trope. That isn't it? You know, the 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 rich businessman, you know, stealing the young bodies to be have his brains transplanted. Saying that nothing, nothing, nothing freaked me out more than uh, Al Maldivar's "The Skin I Lived In," living mm. for uh, for example of body transplanting for. Uh, I think that's another comment we've had. Had loads and loads of, of oh my god of comments. Some people have said that on Twitter. We've had, we've had that is an amazing film. We've had um, uh, Blade Runner as well. This idea of uh, we're not we're not allowed to talk about that because we we're, we're spoiler free and um, we're, we're we're not even thinking until about both it. of us have seen twenty forty nine. Yeah. We are not talking Blade Runner, um, but uh, it's a good example, obviously, about you know replicating brains. Um, thank you for your comments. So the Mancunian... Man, Mancunian, what's this? Manchurian <laughs> candidates. It's the second time we've done this. I read that every time. Yeah. Oh. The Manchurian candidate. Up for it, up for it. Um, which is a, a brainwashing... A brainwashing... Uh, I apologise to all my Manchester friends. Yeah, and we can't talk about that in too much detail because we did that before on our uh, White House show. So if you want to know what we think about the man. Curian candidate, then listen back <laughs> to that one. Um, thanks for the wings, actually. They've also um, commented on the phrase bird brain being wrong. Birds are actually very intelligent. Depending on the bird. Crows are. Crows are intelligent. Par- par- parrots have got a pretty good forebrain. Some birds are that thick. <laughs> okay, so but crows, are, if you're looking for a, a someone to ring on who wants to be William Eyre, it's a crow. Get a, a crow. murder of crows. Get a, get a murder of crows, yeah. Uh, Fucking you grill. Uh, B film um, uh, is uh, also 
uh, very welcome to be in touch with us. And they've talked about another film that was on my honourable mentions, which is A Clockwork Orange, which is, a, again, one of these classic kind of brainwashing, brain alteration kind of films. There's no, there's no sort of... They, they manifest, they uh, manipulate behaviour by uh, medical interventions. So I was just reading, and you know, don't take this as scientific fact, because it's a de- from the from the Daily Mirror. Scientists pinpoint the area of the brain where anger originates, which could pave way for clockwork orange type aggression therapies. Well, d- isn't the um, <laughs> isn't the medical correspondent of the Daily Mirror someone sitting in our in our studio right now? <laughs> no, not the medical correspondent. I sometimes write for them. Yeah, I'm a media fellow for them. So you know John von Wedowitz. I don't actually know. Oh. Well, I work for the tech side of the oh, Mirror. Okay, so, so we uh, can't vouch no. for that kind of. Thing, brain no. control. It's a very, again, it's a very common Cold War film trope of you know the communists using lasers. And but it's what you say. I think there's links between the Icarus file and the Clockwork Orange. That whole strapping in. Oh, absolutely. You know, there was clear. You know, that had precedence. Uh, one of my has a Cold War turn up, doesn't it? One know? of my favourite tortured geniuses. Um, if, if anyone has a, anyone else has a top five tortured geniuses, my favourite is um, <laughs> Bobby Fischer. And again, many films. And recently, a film where he's played by um, oh, whatever it's, um, it's Toby Maguire. He plays uh, Bobby Fischer, who was a chess genius uh, and um, very famous chess match he had with Boris Spassky in Iceland, which was a very much a sort of East versus West Cold War. Uh, brain battle and he was convinced that there were there were lasers being shot at him to sort of control his brains and I think they both were and I think that possibly not entirely being paranoid I think there was a, must have been a lot of work done at that point to try and you know ooh, can we manipulate people can we control brains uh, is any of this stuff coming out now Alex now that the Cold War is over do we know that what they were doing um in terms of brains, not really. No, it's for me. It's the, it's a really good representation of the fact that mental health issues can a- affect people of all abilities. Really, mm. b- b- they're not necessarily linked. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Because the, the beautiful mind is another example of that, where someone is a maths genius and, and pie. It torments them. It actually warps their mind, so to speak. Is there evidence that you know high intelligence is detrimental to your mental health? Um. <sighs> <laughs> some yeah it's can become more morbid with with things l- like imposter syndrome for example or but but no usually it's just that they're more vocal because they have more more uh, influence in culture there's plenty of people out there who who would just never be heard who have also have mental health issues i think there's with the extremes of those things you're starting to look at um at focus based spectra for that, such as autism uh, spectrum disorder and things like that, so that that comes with its own issues and comorbidities. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen Beautiful Mind, which is shameful. As I'm supposed to watch all science films, that seems to be the rule. That is required. Yeah, that is required. I tend to just watch Star Trek. Though. I'd, I'd probably much rather have. Um, uh, if I'm talking tortured geniuses and mathematicians, I'd much rather have Darren Aronofsky's uh, Pie than uh, The Beautiful Mind because it's tr- treated in a much more serious way. Yeah. I don't know. I, I always have the joke about Beautiful Mind. Oh, Ed Harris is turning up. Things are going to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually an, an allegory for anything. And Ed Harris turns up. Things are going to go wrong. And in, in Pi, again, it's very much associated with the brain. At one, one point, he has this mathematical breakthrough, and it, it kind of physically manifests itself on a sort of lump on his head. 
um, that, that actually sort of pulses and sort of torments him. And it's very much, you know, about him trying to get this stuff out of his brain. It's very, yeah. you know, very, it feels very visceral. As you say, there's a point when he, you know, he sort of meets a, a brain on the tube and gives it a prod. Um, so there we go. We've still got our top fives to finish off. Um, and I'm going to go with one whilst we're... And it's You're one on your number two. I'm doing my number two. And I think we've already touched on this. It's Inside Out. Mm-hmm. Disney's wonderful, wonderful um, children's animation, children's an animation. I remember watching it uh, in floods of tears. Beautifully put together, wonderfully um, sad, um, but also incredibly uplifting story of. It's basically the numbskulls from the Beano. The idea of there are different <laughs> representations of different, you know, aspects of your personality in your brain, and they go around and you know we see inside the main character's head Lacey and is Lacey I can't remember now um, and uh, we see all of the, the stuff that's going on beautifully done incredibly um, warm and, and very much about the brain you know the idea is the structure and how memories are formed and the idea that there are some things that um, that kind of our memories that are bedrocks that our personalities are based around it feels very authentic to me I'm sure this is obviously scientifically inaccurate no it's bang on there's five different pe- creatures <laughs> in your head um, my, my personal favourite is when we see inside the teenage boy when a girl talks to him and they're all just everyone is freaking out and panicking and there's alarms going off very very funny but there we go um, the wonderful Inside Out my number two any thoughts on that gentlemen that's my number two too ah <sighs> Uh, if I had we don't, five, we don't, we don't consult before we do these no. number these top five lists. Okay, um, it was my favourite film of that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was suitably in floods of tears for much of the film. Um, when 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 Pixar gets it, it it, it takes you on, and uh, I think it does something to grown audiences just as much as kids. But to grown audiences, we we connect in it in a much different way to the kids do with these films. Mm. That film is very much, I think, has a connection with adults. Well, growing how up. we can relate to growing up, and that's what this is all about. Pixar, isn't it? it? The best moments in Pixar are where we relate to the films and growing up, mm-hmm. and how uh, how really inside the brain just creates this whole other imaginative universe. It's mm. so colourful and playful, mm. using CGI to educate all of us in how our emotions are. Uh, so at play uh, uh, I love the film so much another film yeah. that, that does this type of thing albeit not very well but is a, is a J-Lo's The Cell um, which again is, is a horror <laughs> film from about 2000 that's a comparison I know well I'm, yeah, is, is you, you, in that one you know she connects herself up with, some, with a serial killer who's in a coma in order to find out where his victim is you know that old classic and has to go through his mind um, you know, and it's Ricky's, but it's incredibly visually sumptuous, and it's an opportunity for the filmmakers to absolutely go wild with their imagination. And so, in the in the serial killer's mind, of course, he's a he's a you know he's a huge heroic figure, uh, and he's all sort of he's like a sort of enormous muscle bound god. But in reality, of course, it's not um, great kind of opportunity to do that. So, yeah, <laughs> two parallel stories. It's uh, a bit like Inside Out and Cell. They're, they're all a bit like the trope of dissociative identity disorder, which comes to which some people called multiple personality disorder it's almost that in a way isn't it that this comes through loads and loads of different yeah. forms of people with this uh, disorder which which is just a, I, I'll watch any film with that in even though scientifically it's recently of course split the um, um, what's his name um, 
uh, what's he called? James McAvoy. James that McAvoy. Was M. Night, M. Night, M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. yeah, and he's, he's <laughs> his new film that he's working on now is is bringing is is a sequel to both that and Unbreakable. I like. I, I mean, together as a single film, oh, the characters lovely. are brought together. Wasn't the whole point of that just to have it? A film with more personalities in it than has been done before, like twenty three or something. Possibly another good example of that actually is um, oh, what's it called with John Cusack in, where they're all break broken down at some. Um, I've ruined the ending now, but they're all broken down in some uh, uh, sort of flood uh, afflicted motel, and there's all these different personalities all in one place. Anyway, can we can we say one thing scientifically about uh, DID, which is that. In general, people it's re- incredibly rare, there's more film characters with it, I think, than human beings. But in general, it's done in response to trauma, so it's like a non-violent thing. The, the idea of these violent personalities, that's almost the opposite of the point of it, medically speaking, or, or why we have it pathophysiologically. It's, you wouldn't, it'd be almost impossible to have the violent versions of it, according to psychiatrists, of which I'm not one. So is this, a, this is the thing where people may become sort of childlike in response to, to see it, severe trauma and things. Or just different, yeah. Mm. Just hide it, hiding something that has happened to them or they've seen. Fascinating stuff. Um, I'm going to, bearing in mind we now have a draw for our number two, uh, I'm going to play some music from Inside Out. This is um, a beautiful piece of music from the, for the soundtrack of that. Michael Giacchino, uh, and this one is Chasing Down Sadness. Um, we are um, coming up to our final contributions from both of us, the top one. Um, but before that, we've got a few other things to talk about. The brain on film is a big subject. I mean, we're talking about it as, as, the, as the organ. But there, there's, we've talked about amnesia. We've talked about brainwashing. I'm also quite interested in the idea, Alex, of brain augmentation. This, thing, this Robocop thing of, you know, can we stick extra memory in and can we you know enhance our brain and become sort of superhuman yeah I, i'm <laughs> interested in this too we have we've, we have a department at the university of birmingham called <laughs> the i think it's called the the human computer interface department which i just love and i get to work with them sometimes in augmented reality yeah no we have we have augmented reality you know headsets and we we train people in 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 defense to work under fire in a helicopter, but they're actually on the seventh floor of our one of our buildings. Oh. Very cool. I think, y- yeah, this is this is obviously the future. Google Glass it isn't far away from being inside our eye. As soon as we can figure out what to link it up to, I suspect that's going to happen. Volunteers <laughs> needed. We already have plenty of professors. I think is I get it's either Kevin Warwick at Reading or Kevin Reading at Warwick, but. He's <laughs> a, <laughs> he's a na- nano roboticist, I think, and he, I think he has a chip under his mm. subcutaneous area. And I've, opens. I think I've heard about him to open his doors and stuff. Mm, exactly. Um, and he's, yeah, I mean, but this idea of actually, you know, becoming, you know, uh, becoming more intelligent, becoming more, um, you know, becoming something else. Can I give you a personal view, not a scientific one? Of course. I think it's the only way we're going to survive as a species, really? if we become cyborg, yeah. It's the, the only. I've thought about this a lot, obviously. It's what we do. And, and <laughs> okay, I, I just, the longevity of species, we really haven't lived very long as a species at all. To last with the amount of resources we use, to, to last, we probably need to, to get out there, out, away from this planet. And to do that, we're probably going to need to be mineral based in some part I imagine 
or downloadable. Well, that's the other thing that we see so much in films. And there was a, uh, was it Singularity, wasn't it? A Johnny Depp film recently. This idea of, and again, this is such a massive thing in yeah. sci-fi. Download my brain, transfer it, save it, send it mm. across the universe. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, bearing in mind we don't know how thoughts work. Is this is this pie in the sky? It's philosoph- philosophical argument. It, if you think like a reductionist biologist. That if, that if I recreated your exact atoms you reign over here in another Blake version, it would still be the exact same you, but at that point you'd start to have separate memories laid down and a new one. If you think like that, then there's no reason that you couldn't create a digital version of that in a programme. If you don't think that that's true, then that's perfectly valid as well. We just don't have any evidence for which of those two things is, is right. What else would it be, though? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a spiritual person, but you, one could argue that that is. We also we're talking about our space time here, our four dimensions, and you know the, the long one, wide space time. And there are others, and we don't know how they, how we are represented in those other dimensions as as, as creatures. So we can't see them, we can't touch them. So it, it may be something else. This is all. This is what we need, uh, Christopher Nolan, to come and interstellar us all. But um, um, is is it possible to artificially create not necessarily a brain, but, or, or or a kind of facsimile of a brain? Um, no, we haven't even got a cell yet. We're working on it. So, but what about a kind of electronic version of it? Can we? Could we? You know, is a computer is artificial intelligence <coughs> fundamentally different? from our own? Nobody knows. I think it's a brilliant question. It's one of my favourite questions. What is consciousness? What is as? Is the fact that two neurons talk to each other maybe the beginnings of consciousness and the fact that we have hundreds of billions and they're not just talking to one neuron to one, they're talking many to many all the time. That could be just an amplification of one neuron talking to one and that is consciousness. Which would mean the internet kind of is in a way as well. Except the packets they send are just one and one. So it's still massively less than a single human brain. It could be that the stars winking at each other within the entire universe is the same thing. We just don't know. There's lots of hypotheses about exactly that. That is consciousness just a gradual process up to thought? Or is there a threshold, a yes-no binary level of consciousness that a computer can never reach? We don't know. At which point, of course... Skynet becomes self-aware and launches the nuclear weapons, and then we're all in trouble. I, for one, welcome our robot masters. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, I was watching um, all of the. Um, I was watching uh, Robocop two in preparation for this the other day, um, and there's a scene there where all the kind of um, you know the failed Robocops are coming out. It's obviously horrific. It's a sort of screaming <laughs> skull, but it, it's great because they do they do literally call it Robocop two. They say here is Robocop two, <laughs> uh, and he comes in and then it falls over and stuff. It's, uh, it's cheered me up a lot. So Tim, would you like to take your brain and upload it into a computer? The classic multi-award winning representation of this recently was Black Mirror's San Bernardino episode yeah. which has been winning awards all around the world it's been I think it got an Emmy it did got an Emmy recently and that's where you know people can upload their consciousness and live on after death uh, is there any would there be any difference would we know I was thinking of um Dennis Potter's Cold Lazarus, remember mm. that? Where um, that's a sort of physical thing. The physical it's actual frozen manif- brain. frozen brain kept kept alive as well. So you know, not just the technological impact that before you know the idea of a hard drive that you can actually preserve your head and brain 
Well, if we th- if we oh take that goodness. to its log- logical conclusion, w- w- if we could digitalize our brains, then at some point in the future, in some point in the universe, that could already be done by doing all of them and having each one in a separate program. That would be you existing in a program, but you'd look up and you wouldn't be able to get figure out how far you could go. There is some evidence that is exactly what we are experiencing right now. So we're in the matrix. Absolutely, this could be a hologram. There's lots of things here, you know. That Hang on a minute. This is just. Can we just have a moment on this? <laughs> You've been listening. We to could go off into. A, we're going off into a whole Lynchian, uh, almost a Lynchian. We could go off into a whole Lynchian aspect here, mm. couldn't we? About you know, is what we're watching the real world? Is what we're in the real world or not? And, Are we a know, brain in a vat? In light of the last season of Twin Peaks, as well, I'm kind of. Uh, I'm um, still debating all of that. Speaking of uh, brains in vats. Um, Get ready to laugh your heads off. Who are you? Dr. Michael Havar. Dr. Havar? Michael. What? You're the first object that ever pronounced it right. How else could you pronounce it? It's H-F-U-H-R-U-H-U-R-R, isn't it? Yes. Who are you? Anne? And, uh, Mel Mahay? U-U-M-E-L-L-M-A-H-A-Y-E? Uh, Mel Mahay? Yes. Where am I? It's so dark. In a doctor's laboratory. Am I all right? Uh, not really. Will I be able to play the piano again? Um, I would think, uh... No. Why did you call me an object? I'm sorry. I didn't know what else to call you. Why? You don't know. No, I don't. Please tell me. Well, Miss Almelmay, it seems that you have no body. What happened to my body? It's dead. Gone. You're a disembodied brain kept alive by a scientist. But we're talking. I must at least have a lips, a, a tongue, a throat. Nothing. Just a jar. Oh. Somehow, that remains hilariously funny, despite actually being one of the most horrific sequences in all cinema. That is, um, of course, from The Man with Two Brains. Steve Martin is referring, he's meeting... Uh, a, a brain in a jar, having conversations. Is that realistic? Can you actually could could we survive theoretically just as a just as a brain in a jar? What would that be like? I think everything about the man two with two brains is scientifically accurate. <laughs> Especially that you could do it with. Was it window clean they used to inject? The, there's a serial killer you injected people with window clean and it, it preserved their brains for an extra bit of time in a yeah. jar. Uh, no, <laughs> obviously not. You can't. Um, no, you'd have to hook it up to bits and bobs it needs. What what it really needs is is a fist-sized pump sending five litres of blood around 50,000 miles of tubing every second. With the, you, need, you need oxygen and you need food. The, the 20% of your food goes to, goes to maintaining that brain activity all the time. Well, the o- 20% of your oxygen as well. 20% of... of- of, even though it's such a relatively small part of your body, it goes in you. Yeah, the oxygen needs of the brain is a vast, really. And think about that next time you're tucking into your pizza. Yeah, is that, well, I'm feeding my brain. You really are. Yeah, that's that's mm. the whole point of the heart and the and the and the 
the whole system, the lungs, they're there to, to allow the electrical chemistry to be maintained via little pumps, which are proteins, in your neurons, so they can fire and you can think and remember. And so whilst we're talking about these matters, what is the food that I should eat to maintain my brain? Is it true that Spinach. I should eat fish? Brain food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think I'm right in saying that spinach is thought to be healthy because someone put a decimal place wrong when they were measuring it. That's right, yeah, um, that's why Popeye is yeah, such a fan of it. But there's yeah. no such thing as bad food. There's only too much of certain types of food. A balanced diet and exercise is what you need. Someone flying a flag for the moderation. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's every, every person who's a metabolism expert, which I'm not, will tell you, get, get off your chair, eat relatively balanced food and do stuff. And then think, practice thinking, and you'll be fine. And that's how you keep your brain going. So you keep doing crossword, going. doing Sudoku, that kind of thing. Yeah, whatever floats your boat. Does, does, does um, Tim and I spend all our time watching films and TV, does that rot our brains? Say no. Depends on what it is. Yeah, that's yeah. probably true. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's there's there, evidence I consume it as part of a balanced diet. <laughs> that's right. Well, people are always trying to associate, you know, say that you know, children's brains in particular are affected by watching TV. It changes their pulse rates and that kind of thing. <clears throat> uh, do you have a view on that? It's fine not to. Y- yeah, I do, yeah. I haven't got a major problem with it at all. I think it's like anything, isn't it, in moderation. I think television's a wonderful shared cultural exercise. If that's all you're doing, then it could be a little... It could reduce your cultural outlook. You need to get out and use your muscles. That's a big part of it as well, go for a run or play in the park. But there is, a, there is a case in point that certain things can have a psychological impact on you for quite a while. Yeah, no, they absolutely um, can. It's yeah. not easy to link them. Seeing, seeing that episode of The Sweeney when I was seven has tormented me for quite yeah. a while. Watching horror. Robocop aged eight. Yeah. Horror films, memories of horror films stay with you, don't they? From mm. an uh, early The end of, the la- of season three of Twin Peaks still lives with still, me. Well, that's not been that long ago. No, um, a month. The, the, the drills have started up again. You may have heard those in the background. That is what is... Oh my goodness! I think it's like there's two it's sets a metaphor, of mate, as we there. know. Yeah, it feels like my skull is being uh, worked on at the moment. Um, so we are going to. We've only got ten minutes left of the show, and we're going to talk about our, t- our number ones. Mine has had to change throughout the course of our discussion because it kept getting mentioned, uh, and I ended up <laughs> Blade saying, Runner. <laughs> well, Blade Runner would be a good choice. There's so many. I mean, um, was it fifty, 50 first date? It was fifty first dates. My number. That's one of my film of all time. Um, the uh, <laughs> uh, no, I was going to. Ta- I was going to talk about pie. But we have already touched on that a lot, Darren Arfanovsky's, and of course we talked about uh, Requiem for a Dream. So I'm going to change it, and we all have touched on this, is the Ipcrest file. And the reason I'm saying that is it's, it has the, the brainwashing uh, subtext in it. There's the scientists whose memories, they're captured by the Soviets, I think, and their brains are they're expunged of their genius parts. Um, which um, somebody on, uh, on Twitter has suggested... Fantastic Voyage, which is another great, yeah, great biological film where a miniature submarine is ejected into a scientist, and they have to go and uh, because he has a, a brain clot or something, and they have to go and, and operate internally. Fantastic film! I remember it very uh, vividly watching it as a child. Incredibly bright colours, incredibly um, sort of lurid film. The original uh, end sequence of that, interestingly, was that the they escaped and they got out. The the uh, this is not available. There are stills of it. There, um, the the subject of the surgery uh, did get some brain damage, which left him unable to remember 
the science of miniaturization. So it left this as being the one and only fantastic voyage, which I think would have been a quite a neat little ending to that. Uh, but Ipcresfar, that's my number one. Uh, a reason I'm also citing it, of course, uh, followed by um, Funeral of Berlin, and then the one that killed it all off, Billion Dollar Brain, um, which is a psychedelic, weird uh, film. You know, it's got uh, Michael Caine in it, directed by Ken Russell. Very weird psychedelic 70s thing. Um, after that, I think Michael well, Caine didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and and um, famous also for confusing um, Americans because it had the billion dollar in the opening credits, it had the billion dollars written out as money. And they were like, that's not a billion dollars because it was a British billion at the time, was a million million, uh, not the thousand million it has been uh, reduced to <laughs> these days. There's a little little trivia fact for you. So Blake's number one is the double bill of the Ipcrest file <laughs> and Billion Dollar Brain and I'd recommend that you definitely I, squeeze in a Funeral in Berlin but then you don't go any further because there were some more ones made in the 80s. No, those three are, yeah, stop at Funeral in Berlin. Yeah. No, well, yeah. The, you know, you get, you'll get your slab of Harry Palmer, you get your slab of Cold Warist na- nature, yeah. you know. Leave it at that. Don't Leave go it at that. Some, uh, midnight in St. Petersburg and Bullet to Beijing. There's the, oh, uh, God. Uh, I've not seen Bullet to Beijing. No, I think one of those is actually basically an entire film made out of um, deleted scenes of another film. Something along those lines. It's not something I would strongly recommend, even though I'm a massive fan of Harry Palmer. There we go. Blake's number one, The Ipcrest File. So whilst the drills drill into our skulls, Tim, a number one from you, please. Oh, I was just looking down. Someone um, before I give my number one, Feather Zarus on Twitter has said, "I hope my brain likes Pringles because I love them." Lol. <laughs> yes, that, um, well, it's a balanced diet. Balanced diet, ones. mate. Balanced so you diet. can, have, you can Pringles have Pringles as long as you do exercise and have other things as well. Your yes. brain loves Pringles. Fat. We and all salt. love we've all, Pringles. We've, we've evolved to seek out high energy food high energy, sources. Yeah. Um, that's one of the problems with. Um, with sugar is isn't it that we um, our brains have evolved to like it but in nature we don't ever have the risk of of overdosing on it the way that we do now so we don't we've never developed an evolutionary you know if you eat too much fat you feel you can't eat anymore but you don't don't get that with sugar so that's why we can eat far too much apparently Um, um, so whilst we are closing in on our last one um, just a few more shout outs thank you everybody Um, we've um, B-Film have also liked our um, uh, man with two brains. So hello to B Film, feathers and wings. Also, very very welcome uh, listener. Thank you very much for listening to us. Um, we've had um, someone called the horror of it all. Let's talk about being John Malkovich, which is another one that I considered having. Um, I didn't include it because it didn't really feel very much about the the brain organ. It was very much a kind of you know sort of Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, um, yeah, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind um, has been described rather marvellously as an eternal film of the faultless kind by Midlands Movies. So thank you for that. Tim, number one. Um, I can't disagree with the Midlands Movies. That is my number one. Excellent. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's funny how I've tried to keep... You know, we've tried to keep... keep you, 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 you took pie away because we talked about it a lot. Eternal Sunshine has been mentioned a lot. I just... It's, it's a power... It's, it's a... It's using the idea of memories as a powerful um, trope for a romantic film, mm. uh, and just painting scene after scene of of Gondry-esque setups and sharp Kaufman dialogue, um, and this kind of a brilliant um, soundtrack as well. I love that Beck. 
yeah. everyone's got to learn sometime is is one of the most sort of heartbreakingly melancholic uh, pieces of wow. music. Yeah, uh, Tim's getting emotional. I was getting getting goosebumps yeah. just thinking about it. Just this nagging realization Jim Carrey has as the film dawns that he doesn't need doesn't want to forget. And you know, chasing after those, you know, chasing after those memories and those dreams and those things. And I, I just think, wow, it puts you in your own context of you know things that you've loved in life and things that you love and people that you love. And you know, and you, you, you won't think. I think about this. You know, I think about uh, my uh, my late father, and I think about him every day. Um, and if I if I, in the past, if he'd said to me, you know, you you you'll you'll miss him every single day, I would have thought that sounds awful. Um, but it's not remembering things, even if they are painful memories. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't ever want to expunge those, even if they are painful. You know, we are the subject, the, the sum of all our memories, even if they are are bad ones as well. That sounds a very philosophical way to end the show. I um, thought this is quite good. So I, was, I just because I always go on Rotten Tomatoes when I'm researching my film, you know, researching what to say that people haven't already said about these things. Uh, someone here is, is Tim Brayton from the. Uh, from Ag- uh, from the Antagony and Ecstasy, he says one of the most about Eternal Sunshine. He says one of the most insightfully sad explanation explorations of the human drive for love since Annie Hall concluded that we need the eggs. Full stop. Um, I think that's a very beautiful way of summing it up. And it's a useful way to end the show. We're really grateful uh, for Alex to coming in. Any last words on the brain you would like people to know? Uh, just use it or lose it. It's the only one we've got. <laughs> very true. Apart from the one in the stomach. Uh, <laughs> so the, it's one of the only two we've got. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've been very educated today, so thank you for coming in. It's been brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to end with a piece of music that was suggested to us on Twitter by Marcus, and this is from um, uh, Fight Club, which opens with a rather bravura sequence of uh, a camera moving through a brain, and you see the neurons firing and the... Um, I say neurons firing, I don't know what that all means, and other things, the hypothalamus gyrating, um, and, uh, <laughs> and of course the music is appropriate as well. It's Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. Thank you everyone for listening. Sorry for the drum, the drills, the drums, <laughs> the crackles. We've had a little bit of an of a, uh, auditory nightmare today, but we really appreciate you sticking with us. Thank you everyone. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Goodbye and stay tuned to Brum Radio. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.